Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you. I'm, I no doubt Jordan has already talked about our lovely volunteer banquet that we had. That was um, fantastic. Uh, thank you, Luke, for leading us. If you don't know Luke, he's our apprentice pastor. So um, he, um, he, he follows everything and does everything. And he's an apprentice. He'll get his ticket one day. Um, and uh, he is actually preaching tonight on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's right, Luke, isn't it? Filled with the Holy Spirit tonight. So if you want to be a double dipper, uh, you can come tonight at uh, 5.30. And there's always food after the evening service. And gather together here. In the, um, and you can uh, enjoy a second sermon. And uh, he's preaching on being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bibles or your devices or whatever you're using, turn with me to Mark chapter 8. We're moving towards the beginning of our Advent series as we get ready for Christmas. But before we get there, there are a few more questions that we've been exploring in terms of the questions that Jesus asked and how he asked these questions. And I want to talk to you today about the Subject and the question of abundance, abundance within our lives, and how we understand abundance, and how we understand it to work within our lives. Last week we spoke about healing and the challenging and the question about healing. I want to speak to you now about abundance and the difference that this can make within our lives. But to begin this, let me read. Uh, some scripture to you, Mark chapter 8, and let's look at verse 1. And it is a story you're familiar with. The chapter itself, we will work our way through at different moments. And we will stop off and we'll go and follow a different route and come around and then we'll come back a bit. Because it is a beautiful chapter that deals with the feeding of the 4,000. It deals with the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. It deals with the blind man um, of Bethsaida being healed. And they're all interlocked in this journey. So we're going to move from one place to another, stop off here, and understand what Jesus is really teaching about abundance. So we're on a little bit of a WestJet journey. In other words, we're going to be delayed at some spots. Um, <laughs> Having just got back from Manitoba, uh, the promised land, um, I was there for four days this week and it took me 30 days to get there. So, no, not really. A question about abundance. During those days, another large crowd gathered and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but, but we're in a remote place. Can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when he had taken the seven loaves, he gave thanks and he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so. 
they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for that also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces were left over. And about the 4,000 were present. And after he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples. And there he went to the region of Damalia. And the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him, For a sign from heaven, he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Three days. Three days they've been in this region. Actually, if you understand how it's all connected together, this is a region that is not a Jewish crowd. It is predominantly a Gentile crowd. As you remember earlier on, he fed 5,000 people in chapter 6, and that was a Jewish crowd. But now he finds himself in this region and there is a mixed crowd of people and they've been listening to his teaching for three days and you can tell that the crowd is now getting restless. The crowd is now getting hungry. The crowd is getting aggravated. Have you ever had that happen with your kids? When they get hungry? I think I said it right. It's a Greek word for hungry and angry. And, and they get angry and frustrated. And you can imagine the frustration in the crowd. You can imagine what is taking place. And the disciples are getting themselves quite fraught at this moment. And they're wondering, well, what's Jesus going to do? And as they're wondering about what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do, Jesus turns He can feel the anxiety of the disciples. He can feel what they're saying. But he answers, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and to spend that much bread and give it to them to eat? This is from Mark chapter 6, where the other occasion of the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. Again, we hear their astonishment, their frustration, their worry, their anxiety. How are we possibly going to meet the needs that are gathered here? (coughs) Then we see in verse 8 from where we read, his disciples answered, but where... In this remote place, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? See, the disciples have a theology of scarcity. And I want to talk to you about a theology of abundance and how we step into a theology of abundance. Now, I'm not going down a particular line that you may think, I kind of name it, claim it, blab it and say it and so on. But I want to talk to you about an authority that is present when we have an intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ and we realize that our anxieties and our worries, like the disciples, they just are not getting it. They are worried. They are frustrated. They're looking at the situation. 
and saying, Jesus, what are you going to do here? Which seems a bit strange because earlier in chapter 6, God provided everyone over 5,000 men, women and children, many more thousands with bread to eat because he is the great provider. But it's sometimes as a disciple, it is difficult and we can forget and we can allow ourselves to suddenly be filled with doubt. We can allow ourselves to be filled with anxiety. We can allow ourselves to worry. And yet here we see that the disciples themselves, they are worried about the great expense. How on earth are we going to pay for this? This is half a year's wages. Oh, I can't, we're not going to be able to manage here. How on earth is this going to take place? They worried about themselves. How are we going to eat? What are we going to send these people away? We're tired. Jesus, there's not enough food. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out. They worried about Jesus' ability to solve the problem, which I always find amazing. But the truth is this, that it's so easy for you and I to fall into that situation where you and I, we worry about these things. We worry about the great expense. However, is God going to provide for me and my family? We worry about ourselves. I need this. We worry about Jesus' ability to solve a problem and to come into a situation. There seems to be a big question mark over over Jesus' ability to meet the need of the crowd. But here's the question. Jesus looks at them and says, How many loaves do you have? Jesus asks. Seven They replied. Jesus, in the middle of this need, in the middle of three days in a desert region, with a crowd that is feeling frustrated and angry, that is feeling a little lost, that have enjoyed this feeling of this gathering. Jesus has been teaching. There's been a remarkable atmosphere. Then then suddenly there's no food. And Jesus' question is, how many loaves do you have? And they're looking at each other. They're kind of emptying their pockets. They're thinking, well, what do we have? Let's scrape together. Let's get what we can. Let's let's. Take this. What do you have? We have this loaf over here. We have this loaf over here. We have this one here. Let's have a look. Look what we've got. We've got seven and there are 4,000 people. Panic. We've got seven and what else have you got? We've got some, some small fish. Well, how small are they? Well, they're quite small because the Bible says they're small fish. Brings the small fish out and there they have seven loaves, small fish, a meager offering. People are just, have nothing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus takes what little they have. He blesses it and then he takes that little and turns it into much. This is abundance. This is where God works. This is where God moves. And sometimes we think, I have nothing in my life. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I have nothing to offer. And Jesus looks at you, you and I, and says, well, what do you have? Empty your pockets because I will use what you've got. And I will not only use it, but I will change it. And I will use it for the glory of God. I've seen this happen again and again. 
I remember in my previous church, um, which seems like decades ago, it was decades ago, it was actually 20 years ago, I remember a lady came to me and she says, before we had food banks and before Britain had food banks, came to me and said, Pastor, I've had a word from the Lord, we need to start a food bank. She was really insistent. I was like, okay, great. And one meeting we were worshipping and we prayed about this. And, and she said, I, I'm, we need a food bank. I said, okay. But where are we going to run a food bank? She said, it doesn't matter. We'll run it, we'll run it from your office. I said, oh, that's good. From my office, yes. That cupboard above your desk. We'll run it from that cupboard above the desk in your office. Awesome. So the next Monday morning, she turns up with loads of tins. She puts all the tins in there, and she gets it ready, sorts it out, and there is literally one cupboard full of baked beans. You need to pray that they change. And then baked beans, and then they decided that then pasta would arrive, and, and sauce would arrive, and and all of these goods, but it was all in my office, over my desk. And then throughout the day, there'd be a knock on the door. Pastor, can we come in? Yes, here we go. I got my, got my plastic bag out. And then we filled up this and we gave it out. And we filled it up. It was like I was sat there. Well, what do you have? Well, not very much. We have seven loaves of bread and some fish. Do you want some sardines? Here you go. From that office to this day, they, the board told me that now the food bank has its own, its own warehouse in that region and they have served 1.2 million meals to the community. Now think about that. Nothing to do with me. It was just in my office at the beginning. But everything to do with somebody where the Lord said, well, well, what do you have? Well, I have a desire to start a food bank. What do you have? I have a desire. Well, what resources do you have? We have a cupboard in the pastor's office. And the Lord says, good, I can work with a cupboard in the pastor's office and I can make a difference. You give me a bit of space, I'll fill it. And when that's filled, I'll give you something else. And when that's filled, I'll give you a small shop. And when that's filled, I'll give you a warehouse. And when that's filled, I'll give you a distribution center. And I'll give you 120 volunteers. Because what God does, he comes in power. He takes the little that we have and he multiplies it. All because Jesus blessed what they had. Now the challenge I want to ask you is what do you have? He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when they had taken the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so and they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute. Let's start somewhere and let's start with obedience and God does the rest. 
And sometimes you may look at your life, you may look at this, what you have in front of you, and you may think, I've got nothing to offer the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got nothing to make a difference. I've got nothing. That's not the way. The way is to say, here I am, Lord. Yes, I've got nothing, but take my meager offering, bring it together, and God, you provide, you work, you take my life, you take who I am, and you do something remarkable and transform my life. Maybe you've lost that simple belief that the Lord can make that difference. From the meager things you scrounge together that looks like your life. I'm reminded of Moses. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Talking about the Egyptians, talking about Pharaohs. He's just seen the burning bush. God has just appeared to him. Who are you? I am who I am. And then the Lord says to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And I say to you, what is in your hand? I've just got a walking stick in my hand. And the Lord says, I'll take it, I'll use it, I'll use it for the glory of God. You know what you're going to do with that walking stick? You're going to stand in front of Pharaoh, you're going to throw it on the ground, it's going to turn into a snake. You're going to stand in front of the Red Sea like Charlton Heston. And who's Charlton Heston, Moses said? You're going to stand in front of, of, of the Red Sea and in your big flowing grey beard, looking like a fine BC man, and your long hair as if you should be driving a Harley Davidson, and you're going to stand there and you're going to lift up that, that stick, that simple walking stick, and you know what's going to happen as you lift that rod up, God is going to do a miracle, and he's going to part the Red Sea, you're going to go into the desert, you're going to strike a rock, and you are going to receive water from that rock, you know what's going to happen when you're battling against the Elamites, and there you are fighting, you're going to lift up that stick in prayer and you're going to win the battle and you're going to see how mighty God truly is. So the question is, what's in your hand? What have you got? What is there in your life? You don't feel you've got much to offer the kingdom of God. You have more than you ever know. You have so much that God wants to use you, that wants to come to you, that wants to speak to you. What about David? Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five small stones from the stream and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. What do you have, David? I've just got five, five small stones from the stream. I've been to this valley. I've been to the stream. Do you know what every, all the, everybody does? They take stones from the same stream. It's, it's amazing. You know what the Israelites do? They come with truckloads of little stones and they put them in the stream. <laughs> 
anybody got a, a, a rock from that stream? <laughs> um, but you know, it, something as simple as choose five smooth stones and you can defeat a giant. What is it in your life that you need to defeat? What is it? What have you got to offer God? What is there? It seems like G Jesus loves small things. He spoke about mustard seed. He said from a, like a, a small seed, he would come and you plant it and it grows into something larger and larger. And as you plant it, such branches uh, big that birds can perch in its shade. A perfect little, little seed that is so small. And yet the Lord can take a small seed and turn it into a mighty tree that can bring shade for birds. He, he loved the fact that the, that the widow came with two pennies and brought it into the temple. Just small thing. Just a small thing that the Lord could take, that the Lord could use, that the Lord could multiply. That is true abundance. Maybe you've got a skill in your life that you need to use for the kingdom of God. Maybe you've just got resources that you have, but you pray over them and you ask the Lord to take them and use them. And you are amazed how the Lord can take this and bring abundance and bring growth in your life and what a difference it can make to us. So they've, the disciples have experienced this remarkable moment of taking something that is tiny, seven loaves, and feeding all the Gentiles there. You see, the reason in chapter 6 it, it deals with the Jews and the reason in chapter 8 it deals with the Gentiles is because it's really the message is that Jesus is the bread of life and he came to feed all the nations and make a difference to the whole world. So it doesn't matter who you are this morning. What Jesus wants to do is come and meet with you. What have you got? What have you got to offer? Now they move on from this moment and the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. This is a really interesting uh, paragraph. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said... It is because we have no bread that he's saying this. It, is it because we have no bread? So one minute they've got a loaf and now they've got no bread. They've either got bread or they haven't got bread. Has the author made, made a mistake here? What, what's going on? Oh, is it just like metaphorically, oh, we've got no, not, well, we haven't got enough bread to feed people. Well, we know that Jesus multiplies bread, right? So why are, they, why are they struggling? Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. We've just got a piece of bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus answered them, why are you talking about having no bread? I can feel Jesus here. Like, I've just fed. I've literally just fed... 9,000 people 
men in two chapters, chapter 6, chapter 8, and you are fretting about we have no bread. Isn't that human nature? I have no bread. So where, what is the bread? What is Mark doing with us here? Who is the loaf? I believe that what Mark is doing here, Mark is pointing to us and reminding us in a beautiful way. He's saying there is one loaf in the boat. They did forget the bread. And the one loaf in the boat is called Jesus. And Jesus is the one loaf. Because what Mark is trying to teach us here, he's trying to teach us that Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the provider. That Jesus is the one that comes to us in abundance. That Jesus is the one that meets our needs. That Jesus is the one. What does John's gospel say? I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which... Anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread and that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give you for the life of the world. What Mark is trying to say and point out is that the disciples are full of worry. They're full of fret. They're full of anxiety. They're full of unbelief. They're full of doubt. They're questioning all the time. They have not had the full revelation and what Mark is trying to say, can't you see it? All your provision comes from the person in the boat and the person in the boat is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we get it wrong. Because we'd rather fret and worry than look at the Lord Jesus Christ to provide our needs. See, what he's teaching them is about a revelation. He's teaching them about that Jesus is the sustainer. He's teaching us that everything comes from Jesus. When he talks about communion, of course, it is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it is not the bread that will break, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share in the what? In the one loaf. What Mark wants to teach us is that we mustn't allow ourselves to forget that the one loaf who provides for Jews and Gentiles, for the needs of the world, who is the bread of life, who is eternal life, it is all about Jesus Christ. The one loaf. And if you're unsatisfied in life, if you're struggling with the way you are, if you're feeling a dissatisfaction, if you feel as if you've lost your way in faith, if you feel as if you are wandering in your life, I want to invite you once again to come and feed from the bread of life, to enter into that relationship with Jesus. Because where there is an emptiness, he will fill that hunger. He will come and give you hope. Where you feel lost, he will come and minister to you. 
because he came from heaven above and was nailed on the cross and rose on the third day so that you and I may know the one who feeds us, the one who sustains us, the one who brings abundance in our lives, the one that guides us. And it's all in that beautiful, unique relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, but they... The disciples' incomprehension, they don't get it. They're still asking, is it because we didn't have any bread? What's, he, what's going on? See, what is happening in this chapter is that the disciples are on a journey of truly seeing who Jesus is. And they're on a journey of deep revelation, of understanding who he is. And we're all on that journey. But we have to beware. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What is this yeast? Now, when they use the word yeast in the English translation, it makes it sound like lovely baked bread, you know, from specialist bakery. And you walk in and you intend to spend $5, but you spend $50. And you have donuts and, and there's a smell of yeast and, 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 and beautiful and it's wonderful. Maybe you, you bake bread at home. We don't. But maybe you do and it's a beautiful sense. Of course... What, what the context of this is that they would make bread and they would make yeast by they would take a little bit of the bread dough that they had and they would put it into a pot, they would put juice on it and they would leave it to ferment and then for the next batch they would use that to bring the yeast into it, the leaven, to enable it to grow and enable it to to experience that. But the danger was that when you leave something to kind of grow and you put juice on it, what could happen was that bread could be polluted and a toxin would enter it and it would become poisonous. When Jesus is talking about this, he's saying watch out for the poison and for the toxin that can happen and the poison and the toxin that takes place in the, in the life of bread. You've got to be careful about this because this can affect you. This can poison you. And what is the poison? What is the toxin of the Pharisees? The toxin of Herod's household. What is the poison? It's unbelief. It's doubt. And every one of us in our life, we have to worry and ask ourselves, am I allowing the toxin of this world to pollute me where I no longer trust God, but now what is taking place within me is that I am trusting myself. I'm trusting my ability. I am not trusting God in my life. And what Mark is trying to point out is that it's so easy for our lives to become polluted by unbelief, by mistrust, by us not being willing to trust. We begin to doubt the power of Jesus to provide enough. We may be tempted to look to other sources. 
We begin to vent anxiety by quarrelling with others which undermines our community or our family. The never-ending pursuit for daily bread distracts us from obeying God's will. And if the disciples lift their eyes from their searching for bread, they will see that God provides them with all the food that they need in Jesus. God provides for you and all you need for abundance is the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where true abundance comes from. But each one of us must watch out carefully for the toxin of unbelief, of the Pharisees, of religiousness, and also of Herod's household, which is of power and sin that can come and can pollute our lives and stop that, that, that amazing relationship with God. See, this part of the chapter finishes off with the healing of the blind man. The only time they, Jesus heals in two parts. Touches him once, he sort of sees men like trees, he touches them again, and then he sees clearly. And what he's saying is that the disciples are on a journey that then in the next, chap- next verses, they, they make that statement, who do you say I am? Who am I? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And what they're going through is a transformation of where they're seeing Jesus differently. They're moving, and that's why this miracle takes place in this way, that here a blind person is blind, then he's touched, and they see sort of see it, and then touched again, and they completely get it, that who is the Messiah? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And Mark is teaching us, saying to us, don't doubt, trust. Take what you have and let the Lord use it. But stay close And always feed on the bread of life, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that is displayed and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is talking about unbelievers. But there is also a danger that you and I can be blinded by the God of this age. That you and I can experience the toxins of just being religious or the toxins of being the poison of of our own desires, of our own wants, of not seeking God first, of not having that relationship with Jesus, of not coming close to him. And what we need often is the blindness to go. And we need to see what truly is going on. We want to see who Jesus really is. We want to see his glory, his beauty. We want to see what he can do. I want to be like Elisha prayed to the servant. Open his eyes, Lord. 
so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. I think what was happening to disciples was that the Lord was saying, your eyes need to be opened. You need to stop looking at your anxiety. You need to stop worrying about provision. And you need to start looking at Jesus. And feed from the bread of life. And look up and see the glory of God. And see the glory of Jesus. And all that Jesus can do. And get your relationship right with him. Feed in that intimate place of prayer. Listen to his voice. Grow in God. Make it your whole heart's desire to know and to see Jesus. Because sometimes this world blinds us a little. Sometimes we feel as if we're not seeing clearly. We only find that happiness, that connection when we connect with the Lord Jesus Christ. We step into that. So I encourage you all. That the most important thing in your life is to feed from the bread of life. The loaf in the boat is Jesus. And he's the one that will only truly satisfy you. And if you want to be used, bring the scraps that you've got, give them to Jesus and say, Lord, do something. I've just got an empty cupboard. I've just got this. I've finished and this by thinking about Millard Fuller. Millard Fuller was a kind of strange guy at first, driving around America with leaflets in the back of his car, encouraging people to build houses for other people, no interest loans. These houses should be all built by Christians who support and that people with, with no housing could get housing. And people thought he was crazy. They thought Fuller was mad. They thought he was absolutely bonkers for the way that he was. And all he had was an idea, a car full of brochures and leaflets turning up at church groups saying, get together and help build people who need houses, houses, and we won't charge them interest, and let's bless the world. Today, that organization became Habitat for Humanity, and Bill has built over 600,000 homes in 108 company, countries. And I think of him in his little Oldsmobile, and everybody going, it will never work. But Jesus says, watch your crumbs. Reach out. Feed off me what you got. I'll multiply it. I'll use you to make a difference. Keep your relationship right with God. And everything follows. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come and um, elders and to be available at the end of the service. But this sermon went two directions. So I realized very quickly 
that it's not just about taking on what we have and praying over it, that God will use it, although that's important. It's also about our relationship with God. And I, if you want prayer this morning, come and get prayer. Because you might have crumbs of an idea. You might have just your life and you're saying you want to come forward this morning for prayer because you need direction, you need purpose, you've been blinded by the spirit of this age perhaps and you just want to receive prayer and you want to give to God what you have so that God will use what you have. Maybe a walking stick. Maybe some stones. Maybe a loaf of bread. Whatever that represents in your life. Pray with somebody that God will multiply it and do something remarkable. Or maybe you just want to be closer to Jesus. You want to talk to somebody and they'll pray with you and they'll lead you. And today it's time to just get that little bit closer to Jesus and come close to him as we finish. Father, thank you for the powerful message of Mark 8. And thank you that it climaxes with the declaration that the Son of God must die. But you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And where we are blind, help us to see, open our eyes and help us, Lord, to grow deeper in you, Lord Jesus Christ, I ask. For every one of us, we may grow in Jesus. Amen.